Hi, Spring fans. Welcome to a beautiful podcast. I'm your host, Spring Developer Advocate Josh Long, and this show is all about the real heroes behind Spring and its ecosystem. Hi, Spring fans. How you doing? I'm doing all right. Thanks for asking. I'm in Redmond, Washington, meeting with my friends on the Spring team and uh, Team Microsoft. It's pretty exciting being back in person with other folks, uh, and we're cooking up some amazing stuff, too. Uh, I love opportunities to collaborate, and I've missed doing them in the in the pandemic, of course. Uh, and it feels like it's slowly returning, but you know you can't take that for granted. Uh, so if we can do it safely, well, then I'm obviously all for that. Uh, which, of course, brings me to today's guest, Yoram Bares. Yoram and I have known each other for more than a decade. It all started with a fellow named Tom. Tom Byans created the JBPM project, which eventually landed at JBoss. JBPM was an interesting project where uh, today's guest, Yoram, uh, would join the effort. Yoram worked on JBPM4 and helped, among other things, to make JBPM more accessible to Spring developers. I loved JBPM and even wrote an article for the then very popular theserverdecide.com documenting how to use Spring and JBPM together. I knew that uh, Yoram and I could be friends. Eventually, Yoram and Tom left JBoss and founded a new project called Activity with a goal of reimagining the ideas and concepts behind workflow. A new, Apache, a new Apache 2 license, and of course, best yet, an open for extension approach to building software. Dr. Dave Sire, co-founder, of course, of the Spring Batch, Spring Boot, and Spring Cloud Projects, and a Spring Framework committer, started contributing core support for configuring activity with Spring. Basically, support so that it could be configured with dependency injection uh, and the like. Contemporaneously, I contributed uh, support for using activity with Spring Innovation. Now, bear in mind, this is like 2010, right? So... Spring Innovation is a couple of years old, three years old at this point, um, and uh, there's no Spring Boot on the landscape yet. Workflow is a very important part of any integration toolkit. It's even in Gregor Hope and Bobby Wolf's book, Enterprise Integration Patterns. It's called the Process Manager Pattern. So I got some initial code uh, working in, doc, in along with Dr. Sire's uh, contributions, and I sort of left it at that. A few years later, Spring Boot came along, and I returned to contribute the auto configuration for activity. A few years after that, uh, Yoram and team forked the activity project and created yet another new project uh, with a new direction called Flowable. Flowable is much more ambitious, supporting not just workflow, but other styles of data management like decisions and so on. Flowable is awesome. I even did a sort of spring tips video about it a few years ago. Well, some of it. Uh, I surely need to revisit it and to incorporate some of the other stuff that goes beyond process management. Needless to say, I love this stuff. It's such an interesting way to build software that optimizes for the longevity and maintainability of business processes. So imagine my delight to learn that my friend Yoram uh, would be coming to my home city of San Francisco. I left at the chance to hang out with him, to record this podcast with him, and of course to show him and his uh, uh, lovely family around my humble city. I had so much fun recording uh, this episode with my friend, and I, I hope you find it even, even half as interesting as I did, because... That'll be a lot. Enjoy. <laughs> All right. Hey, man. Hey, Josh. Ah, oh, dude, I can't believe we're here. It's been... Well, we talked about it last night. It's been uh, 12 years of us bumping yep. into each other yep. in random places. I don't very often get to have people come and record with me in, the in person in well i mean that's the thing normally before 
the, the virus, before the pandemic, I would go to places mm-hmm. and I would I'd turn on the microphone when I was somewhere else. Yeah. And then during the pandemic, I used the podcast as a forcing function to find reasons to learn from people, right? Because, you know, you, it's so easy just to, okay, I'm not, I haven't met anybody, therefore I'm not going to meet anybody, yeah. you know, but if you have a podcast to do, yeah. there's always a reason to talk to somebody every week, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so of all the possible scenarios I envisaged for this podcast, I never thought people would come to my home and record <laughs> there, but we're here because we're friends. You're my friend. I've known you for more than a decade, yeah. you know? It's crazy um, when you think about it. We're yeah, getting, getting old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, such a weird history. So can you, first of all, so that I don't butcher it, yeah. can you tell the audience who you are and yep. what you do? Uh, so my name is uh, Joram Barras. Um, I uh, work for Flobo. Uh, Flobo is both the name of a company and a open source project. Uh, so if you go to github.com slash Flobo, you'll find the work that I'm doing. It's a uh, VPN platform, basically, in Java. And uh, there's a commercial product that uh, adds stuff on top of that open source thing. And that's pretty much it. Uh, and before this, I was working for Alfresco on the activity project. And before that, I worked for uh, Red Hat on the JBoss JBPM project. So, you know, I've been doing the same thing for quite a while now. Well, with each new version, with each new project, not the same, right? It's no, like no, no. It's a huge forward no, each absolutely. time. Yeah, that's the idea, of course. Um, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> it would be boring otherwise. I So, okay, let's talk about that from the beginning because... I think I met you. Um, my background is is workflow as well, right? Mm-hmm. Not nearly to the extent of you, as you, of course. But um, I built workflow engines, and at one point we had built something at a company that was proprietary, and I wanted to recreate some of that cool, right? Yeah, uh, you know, have some of the same benefits of a workflow engine. I didn't want to have to build my own, yeah. So I found JBPM, yeah. right? And uh, I wanted to make it work with Spring. A little bit more naturally, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I even I think I even wrote an article for this. Yeah, on InfoQ, I think. Uh, no yeah. server side. Server side. Oh, wow, yeah, the old one. Uh, that's. <laughs> uh, and I, you know, it, it turned into this really great thing for me because people found it and started, mm-hmm. you know, I, um, and I loved JBPM. That was Tom Bayens's yeah. thing, though, right? Yeah, he started yeah. that. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I think he started now. I think JBPM one must be. Two decades ago, I think the first version, and uh, he he did that same same story as you are telling it now. He did that while he was at the customer and feel like okay, we're we're doing this kind of workflowy thing all the time. We're repeating it every new customer, so there seems to be a framework in there. So he started doing that in his spare time. Um, I think he had no idea what it was going to be. Put it on SourceForge, if you remember that. Yeah, Spring was <laughs> there. Yeah, true. Yeah, and um, yeah, the rest is actually history. Then it was JPM two, which was, I think, was was like Swing and and based on EGB two or one even. I can't remember. Um, yeah, and then I think at one day he just wrote an email to to JBoss to to Mark Fleury, I think, just saying, "Hey, I got this, you know, framework. Are you interested?" Yeah. And the rest is history. Good. That. So JBPM, yeah. Business Process Management, right? Yeah. Um, what is Business Process Management? What is Workflow? Are they the same thing? Um, well, it's kind of muddled these days, these definitions. So I always use the same thing, and that's my perspective on what is BPM. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm a developer, right? So yeah. I'm a really you know, deep technical uh, person. Um, to me, BPM is basically about getting common ground between the business and the technical people, right? I mean, back in the beginning of my career, I was at a couple of customers and they would give you the requirements. 
right? They would dump this big binder with papers on your desk. These are the requirements they said. And that was horrendous, as we all know. <laughs> so I discovered JWPM that way as um, some way to solve some of those problems, right? Where we could find the middle ground, a common language, which is then the workflow or the visual representation with execution semantics that you, you know, physically put on a wall. That's what I did back in the day. Right. Put it on a wall, you sit in a room and you discuss the business, right? In a visual way. What I always say to, to technical people is that it's not perfect, right? Nobody as a technical person would say, let's go for that approach first. Right? It's, it's, but it's the middle ground between business and software people. And right. it solved that problem quite good, in my opinion. I mean, all the projects that I've been involved with, they've always benefited from this shared language that people have. And that's, you know, most of software development is not about the code, writing the code. Of that's the last piece of it, right? Sure. It's understanding what needs to be coded. Right. And as the business wants it, because yeah. they're the one that pay the bills and they're the ones exactly. that are exactly. going to be upset. Yeah. And so that, that is my perspective yeah. you know, as a developer, right? Let's say, but there is, of course, a whole you know big industry behind it that, that the classical BPM explanation would be, oh, then you can go into the circle, right? Where you execute it, you run it, you get the analytics out of it, you monitor it, you improve, right? You get this continuous. Right. That's a real business value to it. But really focusing as a technical person, that's what I really like about it is that, you know, you finally speak some language with the real, you know, business. Right. And that's really valuable, in my opinion. Me too. And I, from a, from a technical perspective, uh, sorry, from a business perspective, there are process analysts. Yeah. People who come in and look for ways to improve yeah. processes in the organization. Yeah. And they also resort to modeling yeah, of exactly. these processes. Yeah, because, because humans, you know, we, we are very visual. Right? Yeah. I mean, you look at the street, there's the signs with pictures everywhere, right? There's the, the advertising is always with pictures. So people understand pictures real quickly. We don't right. understand big documents, even no. though we write them a lot. Yeah. But we don't understand them as quickly as pictures. Right. So pictures solve problems. They tell a story. Exactly. And so process analysts, business analysts, their whole thing is to look at an organization and they can see some inefficiencies. Mm -hmm. They can they realize that maybe these two yeah. things can be done at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Or whatever. And so when you think about any long business process, and as web as on online web developers, we're so used to thinking about request in, request oh, yeah. out, in a response out. Yeah. That's not no. How the business sees it, they see a series of steps, a series of steps that relates to an outcome. It could take years sometimes. So, right? yeah. In the, industry, sure. the insurance industry, especially, you know, a case, a claim, an insurance claim can take, you know, up to a few weeks to, to years before it's resolved. Right. So, so it's, yeah, you're, you're reasoning in a very different kind of time frame than normal software. And you've got to keep track of that, yep. that yeah, state, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And, and so from a process perspective, I look at that as one whole process. Mm -hmm. But it might involve human beings logging into different web yep. pages at different points. There might be uh, automatic things that have to happen. There's a lot of exactly. touch points. Yeah, exactly. And so you can either you can design your system as a bunch of stateless request response things, mm -hmm. and they happen to work if you string them together yep. correctly. Yep. Or you could say there's an actual explicit step A, B, C, D, yep. E. You know. There's a there's a serial yep. serialization of steps here, you know, and that's what most people, you know, most companies they don't, you know, discover that they need BPM. You know, right. it's not that well. There are companies that are like that, but they're you know in the minority. Most often, they uh, people have coded something and yeah. it has grown beyond what they are capable of of supporting. Right? They've, yeah, or even knowing about it anymore because there's exactly. so many permutations and uh, exactly, now. yeah, yeah, exactly. So so they discover that they have a workflow problem, and that's when they start, you know. Yeah. reading about workflows and then BPM. Yeah. And that's, and this is useful because again, think about 
the 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 nightmare we talk about statelessness mm-hmm. in software and we do we talk about um, um you know immutable state the reason we care about this is because state is hard yeah it's super hard and yeah. you nobody wants to write a system where anything could be in any state any any time that's exactly. impossible yeah. and it's a nightmare to even conceptualize yeah. in our head yeah. what what kind of failure safes must be put in place to make those yeah. Make that kind of thing work. What is how reality, real life works. Yeah. Right? Normal people, I'm saying normal people, I mean non-technical people, yeah. they reason in, in something is in a certain state and needs to progress and I need to do this yeah. to change it. Right? Yeah. That's how businesses work. That's how all things work, yeah. right? I, you, know, you can't make, you know, even when you make food, there's certain mm-hmm. steps. You can't do one out of the, you know, yeah. some, some at the same time, but some yeah. things have to be done one after the other, you know? Yeah. And so, okay, so we agree from a process perspective, from yeah. just a business perspective, yeah. it's super useful to say, hey, look, this is not just a series of requests. Mm-hmm. There's actually a touch, we're, we're trying to get from new customer to uh, they bought a house. Yeah. All those steps involved, what's yeah. involved? And you write it down on a list and you put it together and you say, this has to go to this agency, that has to go mm-hmm. to this auditor, this has to go to this, you know, whatever, right? Okay, so from a process perspective, workflow yeah. and business Process management, yeah. very, very important. They can yeah. save you millions of dollars if you do a good yeah. job of identifying and optimizing yeah. these processes. For, then we talk about technical. Mm-hmm. So okay, we agree that there's a, a role for somebody to stand there with a whiteboard and draw out these processes. Yeah. Where's the technical part? Yeah. So the technical part is really when you've got that visual model and you got let's say you got ranked technicals and you got arrows basically, yeah. right? The classical flowchart. Um, you, gotta, you want to run that, but of course you don't want to run that just once. That would not be very beneficial, you know, cost-wise. You want to run that, run that thousand times, million times, right? right? And that's so where exactly that's where an engine like Flowable uh, comes into play, right? We take that visual model, let's say, um, deploy it as we call it, right? Which is making it runnable, right. and we allow you to execute that as much as you want, keeping all track of history, keeping track of data, allowing you to query stuff. That's in a nutshell what we do. Right. right. So, it, so it's a state machine. Yeah, it's a state machine. Yeah. And it it's persistent. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So that's you. So right there, you're. I think we've all written state machines. It's a pattern. I, I mean, we've all any done developer that. at any point yeah. in his career has done that. Yeah. And if you start writing complex enough state machines, maybe it's time to look at a workflow system. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Uh, you know, if you've got more than a few states, and those states need to absolutely be what they say they are. Yeah. It's either they filled out the auditing form or they didn't, or mm-hmm. they either did this and on the website or they didn't, you know, that yeah. kind of stuff. Even simple things. The common example I always think about is uh, somebody does a reset password flow. Yeah. They say, hey, I want to forget, I want to reset my password, enter the email, it sends an email. That's yeah. it. Where do you send the email? That's probably going to take a few microseconds or mm-hmm. milliseconds. You don't want to do that in the online web request. Exactly. Send it over to another yeah. service which does it asynchronously. Well, then the email gets sent, somebody gets a link. Mm-hmm. They click on it now. They click yeah, on it it's in available two hours. for so many hours. That yeah. link, right? That's a that's a little workflow right there. Right there, and yeah. they click on the link, and it's got to be. I got to start the process yeah. when it gets clicked. Exactly. But I don't want to keep that thread open. Nope. Right. I want to persist that state yeah. and forget it. Yeah. And then as soon as they click it, now or a week from now, then we resume. Yeah. You know. Yeah. That's a workflow. That's it a state is. machine that has somebody yeah. has to build. Yeah. Um. And workflow gives you a way to explicitly define and capture that state. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah. That's okay. absolutely. You know. Best, best example you can think of. Uh, anyway. And then you have to think that, you know, that's a very simple couple of steps. Just two, yeah, like, or three. And then you got to think that, you know, government agencies, oh. I mean, I mean, think about the kind of customers we have. The government agencies, they build these processes for, for eons, right? I yeah. mean, they, they have, I'm not going to say it's a good best practice, right? Because it's not, 
that hundreds of steps with all kind right. of, you know, exception parts. And, you know, have you ever filled in a government form? You know oh, how yeah. much, right? So uh, those things, and they've, they're kept persistent and the history is kept forever, right? right. Uh, which is really very important because you want to know next year what has been done last year. Right. And that's where it becomes really you know, valuable to put it into a workflow engine. Right. Yeah, that's really the, the promise that, that you know, uh, so a software solution like Global gives you. So workflows, in order to support that, like some things are unknown. We, we know that a, a process will support mm -hmm. at least one of these steps, yeah. maybe two of these, you know, but you might have like zero to end. Yeah. You might yeah. like maybe there's you're filing your taxes and you have to go talk to somebody at the government. Yeah. You don't. You may have to do it again next week. You might have to come back and do another visit. Mm -hmm. So you don't know how many visits there are. Mm -hmm. So you want your workflow to be smart enough to also support this dynamic. Correct. Yeah. So so there is yeah, many features in, in that sense in Flowable to support those kind of things. But I think the most important one is that we support, as we call it, the triple crown standards, right? Because we haven't talked about that. But that visual model uh, is done with a standard, an OMG standard, yeah. an OMG from the UML standard. Uh, there's a BPMN, there's CMMN, and there's a DMN. So BPMN, that's the, the workflow one, the process one. Yep. It's boxes and, and arrows. And then you've got CMMN, right, which is case management. So yeah. as you were saying, there it's kind of more flexible. Yeah. You don't know how many times something happens. You don't know when it will happen, right? But there's a human behind it that will decide it. Yeah. So it's more you know, flexible. And, and we see a mix and match of those use cases. And then the, the third one of the Triple Crown is DMN, which is decision rules, right? You've got rules where people have put, well, think of it like a big Excel sheet, right? With rows and the columns, and people want to match it with a certain row and a certain column value and, you know, do, doing something when that value is that particular uh, thing. Those three combined, that was, that's what Flowable gives you in a, you know, Java-friendly way with the REST API on top of it. And, so this is what I love about it. And this is now why I started using JBPM in the beginning. And then eventually you and Tom mm -hmm. went uh, to Alfresco, yeah. created a new project, yeah. net new called uh, Activity. Correct. That one was Apache 2 license, yeah. which I loved. And right from the get-go, uh, we, we were working together, you and me and Tom yeah. and, this, and Dr. Sire, David, yeah. Dr. David Sire, who co-created Spring Boot and Spring Cloud and all yeah. that um, to provide a... Because, you know, JPPM was JBoss. They weren't, yep. it's not like they didn't want to support Spring. It's just not their top priority, which mm -hmm. is fair. Um, but, uh, but, uh, but but activity was totally different. It was, there was great support from day one, I yep. think, you know. Um, and that's because you reached out or we reached, I don't know who reached yeah, out to I, I'm, I'm thinking now how it went. It was, it was quite spectacular, actually. We, we sent like a message out on the, the interwebs. Right. And, uh, asking for, hey, you know, this is our plan. Anybody interested? And we got yeah. like a huge response, you know, from, the likes, you know, yeah. like you and um, oh, that's right. I think I reached out independent of Dr. Yeah, Zyre. I think so. Yeah yeah, 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 exactly. Because I think Tom just emailed somebody at Spring he knew and that get got to, to Dr. Sire. Uh, but you also reached out because you knew us from you know the, the articles you've been right. writing, and so it was this you know fun thing in, in open source that you can't plan or you can't even envision to, right. to, to happen, right? It just it just happened because of open source. Right? It's one of the, um, in my opinion, in, in my career, one of the highlights where open source really worked. We all had the same kind of um, problem, yeah. the same kind of vision, and we just decided, oh, it's better to work together yeah. and try to do something on our own. Right. And yeah, that's brilliant. Well, so from a, now this is where I think people that are listening to this, if you've got familiarity with Spring, you know Spring is code, right? We're talking about Java objects yeah. and, and maybe back then XML, but it's yeah. still 
a bunch of objects, yeah. right? But when you when I hear about workflow systems and case management systems, I'm imagining heavy <laughs> application in middleware and yeah, 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 yeah. you know uh, forms and yeah. WYSIWYG things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so there's to me this is kind of interesting is that somehow at the time activity uh, did a really great job of bridging those two worlds. You mm -hmm. could provide. You could use any modeling tool to, to arrive at the diagram. Yeah. Because you went from JBPM, which had its own proprietary. Yeah, so it was the JBL language. Yeah, yeah. Java, pro, Java process definition yeah, language. Yeah, exactly. You supported something called BPMN. Yeah, yeah. Uh, two, right? Yeah, yeah. That was, I think in 2009 or 2010, this yeah. was like a standard being um, ready at that, at that point. And I think it got final in 2010, 2011. Um, and BPMN really was a compromise uh, between a lot of vendors, you know, mm -hmm. uh, Oracle, Tipco, you know, you go to yeah. the specification, you can read all the names there. Um, it's really important that it's a compromise because it was this was the first time that all the big vendors actually said, okay, we'll do this, we'll support this diagram language in all our products. So you had, you know, some way of, of portability. But what they did, which was in hindsight, um, the best thing was defining an execution semantics around it, not right. the exact, you know, not the exact implementation. They didn't say, you know, implemented this and this and this way, but they right. said, this is how it should behave. If you start this workflow, this process, it will. They use the concept of a token. Let's say right. they say this token moves from this step to this step. Here it's going to split into two tokens. So they define it in kind of a meta language right. what it should do, and that was. I think the success of why it, it the BPMN language got you know, in, in picked endures. up exactly yeah because even today so many years later it's still you know the language of, of all these uh, vendors yeah. so that's a great point I remember the the reason so JPB JPDL yeah um, had a representation in XML yeah but it also had execution semantics yes BPMN one. Didn't. didn't. It was yeah. a visual tool. It was a way to visual model. only. Like yeah. UML. It didn't yeah. imply yeah, exactly. COVID, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, and then I think, and then I remember there was even, and the other thing is Beeple. Yeah. There's a thing called Beeple, yeah. B-P-E-L, uh, which did have mm -hmm. executions and semantics, but I think it was not particularly great at so many no. things that workflow should encompass, it, it, like it, human I mean, actors. I mean, back in the day, we actually also built a Beeple engine. Uh, because you have people ask for it. Yeah. The, the thing it was is there the execution semantics were in, basically modeled visually. Yeah. So you were think you had to think already in executions while you were modeling your business problem. Right. And that's where many of the non-tech people kind of stopped because it, they they didn't see the value of doing that. Right. Um, and BPMN actually bridged that by going as as they came from a visual model first, they did. BPMN2 as a visual standard first, and then added the execution semantic, right. but not, again, not in a very um, strict way. Right. So any vendor is free to implement how they wanted it, which allowed us to build the engines in Java, ways, in Java and ways we saw fit, which we could optimize things in a very efficient way. Right. Yeah. Uh, so that's, so that, but I mean, going back to people for me, yeah. to me that was a really poor Attempt at workflow. Yeah, well, it yeah. didn't support human actors. Correct. Right. Yeah. It's all about web service invocations. Yeah, they they added people for people. People afterwards. for people, which yeah. is a joke. I think yeah. like it, <laughs> that was HP or something like that. I think it was. Yeah. They just missed the boat. Yeah. And also, it it had a way to do execution, but it you couldn't model mm -hmm. like all the things you could. There was actually some people that took 
BPMN and they could turn it into people. Yeah. But the thing is, people could only execute a subset of what BPMN could represent yeah, visually. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And so you would have this loss of fidelity yeah, in yeah, the translation. Yeah. You couldn't yeah. round trip. It just seemed like a lot of hackety stuff. And of course, if you didn't understand both XML yeah. schema perfectly, yeah. you're going to get confused yeah. quick. Right? Yeah, the, yeah, the translation yeah. back and forth. Yeah. It just seemed very fragile. So I was so happy when Tom, I think, perceiving you, yeah. and Tom and then you, yeah. perceiving this chaos, he just said, no, we're just going to use this thing I created called JPDL. Yeah. And it does exactly what I said it does. Yeah. Right? Here's yeah. the spec. Here's the <laughs> documentation. <laughs> yeah. um, so how did you meet Tom Viant? Uh, um, how do you spell it? It's B A E Y E N. right? If you yeah. say it in, in in Dutch or Flemish. Yeah. Um, so this is one of these again successes of open source, I would say. Yeah. So I was working for a consultancy company uh, doing the BPM project. Uh, we organized this small little conference. I mean, it wasn't even a conference; it was a get together of you know a couple of hundred people. Um, and he was doing a presentation. I was doing a presentation using uh, JBPM, showing some charts, but. I did like performance benchmarks at that time. So I did some, some you know, um, high load JBPM performance things and presented that and Tom was excited and basically said, you know, you want to work with, with me, right? And of yeah. course, you know, I was a young boy and uh, that was, he was my hero, yeah. right? <laughs> he was the guy that did JBPM in open source. So I joined his team and the rest is history. Nice. Yeah. He, yeah, he's awesome. He helped a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I remember you, the, the first, Work you started doing was JBBM four, yeah, right? Correct. That's the big one. Yeah, right? yeah, I yeah. You, I know you did some stuff in three. Yeah, uh, but four was like yeah, yeah, a major yeah. leap forward, and that was the first time we had Spring support there. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Out of the box, you know. Um, okay, so so you met Tom, and then um, that was JBBM. Yeah. What was the sort of why why uh, activity? Well, that's uh, that was a lot of, of factors at the time. I mean, the the license was definitely one thing, as you were as mm. you were saying. I think we felt at the time was right for a um, neutral implementation of the specs. Yeah. Right. And in Java, there was nothing in Java at that time, and we we saw that gap and jumped into it basically. Yeah. Uh, so that was a BPMN first. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. We so we we we've you know we took what we learned from JBPM. Um, we, we learned, well, there was already JPM 3, right? So, right? so there was already two versions where a lot of things were learned. Mm -hmm. What went well, but also definitely what went wrong. So we took all of that and built, um, with that knowledge, a new engine, basically. Mm -hmm. oh, amazing. And I remember that was uh, quite a release because that first release had, you know, was fully formed, mm -hmm. right? You had great insight into what should be done here. Yeah. Uh, but also, I noticed that it was just a foundation. Yeah. Right. Because you built it to be flexible, right? The, yeah. The brand new engine built on. Exactly. Exactly. Know. I mean, this was the you know architectural patterns that we still use today. Of course, the engine has evolved over the. I mean, we're talking about a decade, more than a decade here. The engine has, of course, evolved architecturally. Sure. But some of the some of the foundation things that we decided then, and those were decided, you know, when you were also there, they're still there today, and that. It's very interesting to see that even the commercial product that we have today uses many of the same patterns that that we decided back then. Yeah. And so it's yeah, it's it's a fantastic to see how software evolves over time. That some things remain and some things change. But but yeah, sometimes you're making a good choice, right? So I, I so that that's what, to me that's uh, absolutely true. But the engine is really we're talking about the engine 
I, I wish people could kind of understand why that's important. Um, if you're a Spring developer, the engine can just be an object that you create. Yeah. And you can call methods on it, and yeah. you give it a, you give it a file or a resource that exactly. has a process definition. Yeah. Yeah. And it'll turn that it'll reify that it'll turn it into an object graph that lives in the database. Mm -hmm. You can then kick it off, and it'll move the token from one state to another. You can yep. query it using objects and methods, exactly. or you can query the SQL database directly if you feel yep. brave. Yep. Uh, the point is, it's just Java and objects yeah. in exactly. database code. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or if you're if you are from a business perspective and you don't want to sit there and write a public static void main or a unit test mm -hmm. using the engine, there's a modeling suite, yep. right? There's yep. a whole whole set of facilities yep. now in Flowable, yep. um, and you don't even ever need to know that it's written no. in Java. Right? No, I think that. Um, that's but it's a, the same engine behind the scenes. It is, it is. And that's also the two, let's say, distinct types of customers that, that we see. I mean, I'm talking here customers also could say, you know, users. open source users, right? I mean, the open source users for sure are are more the technical oriented. That's really yeah. the, the people that look at it, like you were saying, with objects and interfaces and methods. Um, but also, you know, equally in, in, open, in open source, you see the people that come from the other angle, from the business. They want to run something. So in our commercial product, we use Spring Boot as a foundation. And... Combined with the Flowable engine, that allows us to, to cater for two kinds of users. The, the ones that really want the technical approach, so to say, right? With, with um, configuration on the lowest level, with pluggability, with, with uh, swapping in beans and then doing custom implementations. And on the other hand, we use Spring Boot as a foundation to also have a finished product, a kind of, let's say, black box product, the classical BPM product, so to say, where you... As a business user, you don't really care about what's behind the scenes. You just want to model things, click the run button, and that's it. Right. And thanks to Spring Boot, that is feasible. We've we've done you know that product. You could we've cut it up into all kind of different Maven modules that you can pick and choose from as a developer in a typical uh, Spring Boot starter, right? right? Uh, which we you know if you use the open source, you've you've seen we've got like I think at least ten starters. Right. Um, and then in the enterprise version, there's like 20, 30 more, all following the same pattern that, you know, we, we just took what's there from Spring Boot. Basically. Nice. Yeah. So you, you deliver the whole suite as a set of auto configuration. Yes. That it's, is so cool. We, we have, like, I mean, you're going to love this. Uh, it's it's, it's going to be 20, 30, maybe even more auto configuration starters for all kinds of things. And you, you know, you can start very light with, oh, I only want to have process execution and then add starters that will then enable auto configuration automatically giving you richer and richer feature sets, or sets as, as it grows. Wow. Yeah. So, and how did that, so the modeling mm -hmm. solution, that's a visual tool. Yeah. That's, but I, I imagine, professional. That, that's, yes. That's yes. paid, right? Uh, well, there's also an open source version. Really? Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, and <laughs> there are also Spring Boot apps. Right. So we actually have uh, OEM uh, users that, that or customers that just want to take uh, our design, because it's called Flowable Design. Right. Uh, take the Flowable Design Spring Boot Starter as, as a dependency and build their own version of it. So oh, wow. more, kind of like a white labeling where they put their own things on they top of that. They the visual Exactly, tool. yes. Oh, wow. And so we've built the engines. It's already designed like an engine. So, yeah. so if you look at the source code, you would see that, oh, it behaves exactly like a process engine or a case engine. We follow those patterns, those architectural patterns. We've, we've applied them. Across and then we've applied these Spring Boot starter ideas that you know you've you've built. Uh, we've we've applied that to our whole wow. suite of products. Now the modeling solution is separate from the execution engine, though, yes. right? So I can, in theory, can I use the Flowable Design solution mm -hmm. and get a BPMN artifact and then use yeah. some other engine to run it? Yeah, yeah. In theory, dumb, but yeah. I, you know, <laughs> yeah, in theory, you could. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's, yeah. So that's really you. You're really just trying to make this as 
elegant for both the developers yeah. and the business yeah. types. Yeah. And I mean, we're making our lives hard for ourselves in some ways, right? Yeah. Because it would be way easier to to Money pick one. Yeah, to, exactly to pick one. Um, but yeah, that's not our nature, right? That's not what you know what we would like to build. And right. and actually, building it in that that way, as you said, in a non-monolithic way from a, from a module dependency point of view helped us a lot in thinking about separation, you know, classical things, of course, like separation of where should, should something live. Um, also, commercially, right, it makes you really think about what should go into a package. And right. yeah, that, that helped us a lot, you know, that, so we're extremely grateful for, for Spring and Spring Boot. I mean, I'm, uh, we were... <laughs> and I'm grateful for, and the value of Spring and Spring Boot is the ecosystem, and that's a huge chunk that, if you need workflow, you really need workflow. And people that know about what workflow is, they want work. You know, there's, there's no, there's nothing else that does it. You either you glue it together, you build a makeshift version of your own, or you use something professional. And so, yeah. the fact that there is this giant checkbox saying, "Hey, we support this," that's yeah. huge for the industry. Now, okay, if somebody wants to, then we've talked about um, the open source. We've talked about. And by the way, it's weird to think about the modeling tools being open source. Like I would be. To my mind, that would be like the first thing I'd slap a price tag on. You know? Well, I mean, but, that, uh, I mean that evolves, of course, over time. Yeah. Um, right now, the the commercial version, of course, has more bells and whistles. Wait, so let's talk about yeah. that. If I wanted to pay flowable money, yeah. what am I buying? Uh, well, we've got like uh, three products, so to say. We the first one is like open source um, uh, kind of insurance, I would say. Right, you yeah. want to have access to. Our, our our support people, so to say, yeah. or even you know, in the in the high severity cases, us yeah. like the open source developers. Um, so that's basically a, a kind of a package you can you can buy where you get the insured kind of uh, guarantees that we will be there to help you if something goes wrong. Right? Yeah. So that's one. Now we've got something called Flowable Work, which is um, the engines with a lot of additional engines. Right. So in the open source, we've got uh, process, case, and the rules. We talked about before mm -hmm. enterprise we're adding lots of classical enterprise things like you know document management stuff oh, wow. uh generation of, of templating uh a form engine that can be embedded in all kind of different environments um uh, control uh, flowable control which is like an administration tool for the whole thing so a lot oh, of wow. you know bells and whistles and then the third one uh, which is called something uh, like flowable engage which is flowable work plus all kind of chat integrations as we've seen that uh a big set of our customers is interested in, in integrating workflows with chat solutions uh, these days. Oh, so yeah. so like if somebody gets support on a ticket or something yeah. like that, that can do that can yeah exactly kick off a state yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Wow. But to me, you know, for us, that's an integration, right? I mean, from an engine point of view, that is a piece of data right. that is equally to a variable, so to say. Right. right? It, there's nothing special to it for us, right? But if you you don't have to write code to yeah, use your version. Yeah, exactly. I, as an engineer, I could probably write the same code myself with just yeah. the open I mean, source. that goes for everything, right? Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, at, <laughs> at some point, you get, that's true for everything. And yeah. at some point, I just want to pay instead of writing yeah. that code. I mean, code. that's always the thing, right? In, in our industry, right? Whether you, you know, spend the time in writing it yourself, fixing all the bugs for years yeah. to come, or buy it off the shelf. Right? Yeah, off the shelf is yeah. more fun. Um, and more satisfying because mm -hmm. hopefully it just works out of the box. Yeah. But the nice thing is, if it doesn't work because it's open source, you have those yeah. very natural onion uh, layers you can peel yeah. to arrive at a solution. I exactly. love that about this. Whereas yeah. traditional workflow engines, mm -hmm. you know, these giant monolithic servers, a lot of them are servers, right? Server, servers, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People is a server, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. Whereas this is just a Java object. Yeah. It can just be embedded in your Spring Boot app. Yeah. Or you actually do have a server though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so, if you want to, I mean, if you want to run it as a server, you get the jar, you get the war, and run it like that. 
So what is that? What is the war? Is it like a resting point or what do you? Oh, that's that's basically it's again a spring boot up yeah. <laughs> with uh, the whole set of starters, with the whole set of engines, and with the front end embedded. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. okay. So you have the modeling tools and all that stuff built into one giant. Wow. Well, no. So we got the runtime. That's okay. that, that's one WAR file, JAR file, and we've got the modeling, which is one JAR file, WAR file. Now, technically, you can do, of course, that because it's adding a starter to right. another thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you know, we don't ship it like that. No, nope. no, makes sense. There are people that want to do it. I mean, typically, you're running the uh, the modeling tool in a single server, non you know non uh, high availability high availability kind of mode uh, behind you know inside of the organization. Yeah. Right. The runtime is typically front-facing often, right? And you run it in different places again, you know, in the server firewall ecosystem. So there's more that you have to think about it. So, and you run those in high availability, of course. Right. Yeah. And but so for high um, availability. With Kubernetes, Docker, yeah. you know, I mean, I saw you already looking at me like, yeah. <laughs> where it's going. Yeah, so we're also shipping, you know, Helm charts for all our, our products, uh, also in open source, by the way. So if you go to, to Flow.org, you see kind of Helm charts for the open source stuff. Um, Docker images, uh, uh, Docker Compose, you know, you name yeah. it. We, we have all the things that, that are expected these days. Yeah, that's awesome. So you're using Spring Boot, but there's still a whole framework on top of that, right? Mm -hmm. it, it It's not just, I mean, you can treat it like just a Java library, but as we've just established, yeah. there's so much more to it. What What's the, if you describe the ingredients for the recipe, mm -hmm. and again, I can say that this meal is made of, these following five items, that doesn't mean I know the recipe. Yeah. It doesn't mean I can make the same thing, but I know the yeah. ingredients. What there's a database. Yeah. Any database? Yeah, well, pretty much, you know, all the the, the, the classical ones. So I think there's like six or seven of them, you know, Oracle, DB2, MySQL, MariaDB, Postgres, H2, HSQL, um, I've got one, I have a feeling. I mean, SQL Server, maybe. Yeah, SQL Server, exactly. All the ones yeah. at Spring Boot. Yeah, 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 yeah pretty well, much, yeah. pretty much. So you know So there's SQL databases. Yes. I imagine that there was something. Yeah, we at we some point yeah we we have we have experimented with various kind of um, uh, implementations in the past. I mean, yeah. we did a nail for J at oh, one point. Cool. We we did a MongoDB prototype. Um, so far, I mean, we've put all of these things in the open source, so you can just yeah. look at the code there. It's our persistency layer is pluggable. Um, to be honest, so far that we've seen interest once in a while, but not up to the point that it's interesting for us to push it forward. Okay. Uh, so if anybody on the call, you know, on the, on the podcast, sorry, yeah. is, uh, is saying, oh, you know, that's what I need, then, you know, get into contact with us. Nice. Uh, so the, yeah. okay, so you've got, and SQL engines are, yeah. I, I mean, unless you're like, I can't even, actually, that's another point. You can't name names, I know, but mm -hmm. there are people doing, they're oh, using yeah. Flow at scale. Yeah. Massive scale. Massive, ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You would be <laughs> yeah. crying if you had that kind of scale. Yeah. And they're just using the Postgres or whatever. Yeah. They're using the CD yeah, yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, of course, you have to use some smart tricks then. I mean, some smart engineering. Right. Uh, this is not just a default Postgres, for example. Right. Uh, you got to think about, well, as anything in engineering, how to set it up architecturally. Right. Um, but in the end, we found that it scales easily uh, if you know what you're doing. Right. Uh, so, I mean, exactly. Can't really name names, but talking about thousands of processes per second. I mean, that's something, you know, of course, that's a, a decent setup yeah. uh, you have there, but it's doable. Oh, sure. Yeah. So wow. that's pretty cool to see, right? If you see that that data that's being generated. I think that's when I started with, with you know, JVPM, databases, we thought at that point were big. You know, right. they would grow to maybe a few gigabytes. You know, that right. was the biggest ones at that time, yeah. right? 
Now, regularly, we've got users in the open source, um, you know, pointing us to, hey, I've got like a couple of terabytes in this table, table, yeah. right? Yeah, just one just table. one table, <laughs> right? And those things just work. So, I mean, people think about SQL databases as, as you know, old. And yes, they're old, right? They're sure. based on old ideas. But their performance tuning is they have, I mean, they have not stood still over the last decade equally, no. right? They've added lots of stuff that, that you know, proper engineering. Yeah. So, yeah, rocket scientists yeah. in some case. I know I'm always joking that, you know, at one point, um, anything goes SQL, right? I mean, right. even my washing machine at one point will go SQL because <laughs> that's what technology does, right? Absolutely. SQL isn't perfect, but it is the best we have at this point. For And that's the thing. When you started 12 years ago, yeah. SQL already worked. Yeah. All the 99% of all the cool things you're probably using yeah. existed already yes. in the features. All yes. they've done is gone faster, yeah. right? They've, I mean, they've added new features, of course. Of course. But, yeah, yeah. but I mean, just think about that, right? The very large majority of SQL that we use today already existed two decades it's crazy, ago. crazy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, And so that wasn't the problem. Yeah. They're not trying to figure out what it looks like to de describe a query anymore. Yeah, you know, yeah. That's, exactly. They've only had time to just optimize. So yeah, I love SQL. I, you know, me, I love Postgres. So I, yeah, I, me too. I, I just use Postgres <laughs> whenever I can. Same, same. Um, uh, yeah, okay, so it's it's a database, okay? Yeah. There's a Java Java engine, JVM. Yeah. Or a, Java 8? Um, 8, 11, 17. Yeah, we support you know, okay. the whole the whole shebang, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Spring Boot is 2. something at this point? At this point, 2.7, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But do you have a, a window in which you support newer versions? Like if, like if, yeah. if somebody comes to you and wanted to use Spring Boot 1.0 today, do you like... No. No, no, no. Thanks. I mean, there is a point where, you know, you can be persuaded for everything, of course. <laughs> okay. But, I mean, no, there's no interest nor in open source nor commercially to, right. to do that Good. Um, yeah. and actually we haven't seen that it's more the opposite way actually is that you know we've got a, a, a cadence of uh, in the in the enterprise of a couple of months right uh, because the customers don't like to upgrade that quickly a new right. version in the enterprise now typically we release with a certain spring boot version and we found out that customers actually want us to be on the latest and greatest version because they're also upgrading to the latest right. and greatest. So actually in all those years, we've never actually had the question of, hey, can you support a way older version right. of spring boot? Which is interesting because for the JDK, we do have that question once sure. in a while. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I think spring boot makes it as painless as possible yes. to move forward. It's one so. of the, you know, biggest reasons. Well, I mean, there's a couple of reasons why we decided for Spring Boot back in yeah. the day. Uh, one was, of course, our team of, of right. people that, that are working on it. They know Spring. They knew Spring Boot, so right. it was a natural choice. Ecosystem. Yeah. Um, and simply that Spring, in general, is in the same space, the same markets as we are. They're solving yeah. the problems that our customers, our users have. Yeah. So why would we spend time on you know things that are not our, our core expertise? So thinking about things like security, right? We could go and spend an awful lot of time on security, but we also could just take Spring Security, which we do, right? To implement or to integrate with LDAP, OAuth, uh, SAML, you know, all these things, right? We, we piggyback on Spring Security, for right. example, to implement the choices for our customers. Right. And that allows us to focus on our core expertise, which is making processes run. Right. You just as long as you support spring security, you don't exactly. care how they use it. Exactly. Uh, so, so it's our it's our you know it's our trump card R, right? It's like, you know, here is this is is if we don't support it right now, well there is gonna be a spring way to do it. Right. I mean you're gonna have to write some code, sure. but you're not blocked right. until we do a new release. That's awesome. So tell me about some of these other uh supported features. We talked about process yeah. uh, engines and workflow and all that. Can you drill down a little bit further into what case management and uh, decision 
yeah. modeling or all of that. Please. Yeah. So processes really are when you have um, a fixed set of steps in a certain order. Uh, the best example is the regulatory kind of processes, which you have to follow a certain amount of steps and a certain amount of things that are bound by law, for example, right? And you have to do A, B, C in always the same sequence. Processes are really good at modeling that and repeating that. However, as you know, work or businesses don't always work in a strict sense, right? They have a flexible way of going about, let's take an insurance claim, right? right? It could be that you have a fixed process to handle it. Of course, if a phone call comes in of a customer giving you this <laughs> crucial piece of information, suddenly it changes the whole thing, right? right? And that's where cases come in. Cases give you a flexible way of modeling that. And one of the things we've seen in our users is that they, they use cases to give context to processes. So for example, you've got a, a case bound to a certain customer. And within that case, you're kicking off all different processes. And all these processes, all these instances, they share the same context, the same data, right? You don't need to correlate anymore yourself with variables and with data um, in, in kind of a hacky way. You get the case context by by default. Right. Yeah. So that's the case story. Then so is, that, the, is that like the, so if I have a bunch of processes related to managing customers, yeah. then they would all be under the same case. Yeah, correct. I mean, okay. it's up to you to model. It's a very flexible system, but that's the best practice we advise. Also, what we see people using it for is I really to, to tie things together. Right? I imagine that must be very useful, even as just a documentational artifact to be able to say, yeah. hey, as an organization, here are all the things that we do yeah. with customers. And it gives you also an insight into exactly the menu. And it, is, it also gives you, besides what is on the menu, gives you what triggers those items on the menu. Wow. It tells you, like, this is the set of, of rules or of data that needs to be triggered to get into this kind of state, right? And these kind of kicking off these kind of processes. Right. Uh, and then your second question was about the DMN, right? About the rules. And that's really about having a uh, kind of an Excel-like view of rows and columns of, of when a certain thing kicks off. And of course, we've got integration in the process, in the case that you say, okay, now look at the rules, go through all of them, right. and look at what is now triggered, right? So you go, you have this, if this, if this, 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 then do that kind of, kind of story. Now, it's not you know, as advanced as the classical inference engines and all of that with backwards forward chaining. Right. But it, you know, it's a, typical way that people think in Excel-like structures. Like you go through the rows, top to bottom, from left to right. So, okay, so you've got this decision tree. Well, yeah. actually, you've got decisions in both the case yeah. management and the decision management. Yeah. In the case management, you just describe these like global conditions. Yeah, that exactly, apply. exactly. And these are ambient Mm -hmm. things like they're general like oh if the temperature is this or or yeah if some new customer shows up here how does that get evaluated where does it get evaluated is there like a poll no i mean no thing? no i mean well conceptually you could look at it that way because that's the easiest to understand we but implementing it with polling would not be you know work performance working on thousands of cases at the same time um so so we reevaluate all of these things when data change so we have kind of data guards and we look at it in the engine so yeah, it looks at the whole case as a whole and then says, okay, this changed. I need to do now this part in the case, right? Right. And, or, or you, you look at, um, I mean, there's, there's data, there's also events coming yeah. in. We, we call them events, but they're like messages from Rabbit or Kafka or whatever. You could say, oh, when this message comes in with this piece of data, this correlation ID, these kind of, now do this. Now trigger these processes okay. within this context of the case. So to get that for free, you get the whole context for free. When you start doing event-based uh, things. 
So when you touch something, then you reevaluate. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. That's super cool. So now these decision trees, these are different. These tables, yeah. that's you're evaluating decisions that are embedded in the exactly. table. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, technically, that's quite simple. I mean, there's not that advanced as the BPMN or CMN engine right. because you really have like you kick it off whenever you have it in your model, right? right? You say um, this is the input. You give it to the DMN engine. This is the output, right? So right. it's really in out and it's 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 not as stateful as as processes and cases. Um, but we do store like why with certain people really like seeing why certain thing triggered. So we have these views in the DMN engine or it's a JSON format, basically saying, okay, these rows, you know, evaluate to false, but this one was true because of this data. Uh, so you could go back to your decision saying, why did this decision triggered, right? Oh, that's I mean, so cool. in, in all the stuff we that. do, keeping the why is or keeping a trace of what we've done is really important. That's really one of the other reasons why. Big people, reasons. Yeah, yeah. To, to go back, you know, ten years from now, people have to prove um, that they've done the right thing, you know, for regulatory yeah. reasons. Yeah. And that's the thing. Again, it's easy enough to build a state machine in Java. It's yeah. Making it so you can audit it and, and, and at scale. It, at right. scale. Yeah. 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 That doesn't come for free at all. Mm -hmm. So okay, that's super cool. So that decision table is that is that like. A spreadsheet, basically. I mean, it looks like a spreadsheet. I mean, it's one of the features that has been requested so many times. So we'll have to do it one one day. Is you know, do it in Excel. Right? Yeah. I mean, I have this joke in the team that you know every software eventually evolves into Excel. Right. <laughs> I mean, um, but it looks like Excel. Right. Yeah. It's rows, it's columns, and the reason for that is that people are familiar with it. Again, tables is a structured way to looking at data. Being visual creatures, as we discussed before right. in the podcast, it gives you an easy way to. Look at data in something that's familiar to us. We can right. look at that. You can look at a spreadsheet and get grasp at least the idea or what it tries to convey in right. like in like a split second. No, no right. problem at all. Yeah, yeah. Especially if it's, it all fits in one page. Exactly. But if you, to, if you if you describe those rules in textual format, you wouldn't you know wouldn't be able to look at the document and no. say, yeah, this is what happens. So one example might be I have a call center routing. If mm -hmm. somebody calls from this state, I want to send them to this center exactly. over here, and that's an easy thing to describe yeah. in a table, right? Exactly. Uh, yeah. Or um, you know, uh, prices for certain yeah. flights of classes of yeah. a flight based on which time, which country, yeah. which holiday or near or whatever. Exactly. That's the kind of thing you're going to encode yeah. in a decision tree. Exactly. You could write an if else. Yeah, of course. I mean, it'd be a nightmare, but you could. Or you could just describe yeah. on these ta tables I mean, and instantly. That's it. Right? In the end, they are a representation of a lot of if else's. Right. right? Yeah. yeah. So it's um, it's just a very nice. And, and again, it's, it's not that you don't have a way technically mm -hmm. to get at an if else statement. You, of yeah. course, have that. It's that you now have an artifact that the business can modify. Exactly. And That's what, that comes back to what I was saying before, right? Is that this is this is a common ground between business and technical people. We might say, oh, right, it's way easier to write it than if else. I mean, I'm going to you know, debate about that. Potentially, yeah. it's not better. Yeah. Um, but the artifact of showing it as a table definitely helps you when talking to the customer or talking right. to the business, right? Where you say, okay, this is the rules. Is this actually how we operate right. on a day-to-day -day -day basis, right? And People that actually know the business could say, well, yeah, or, or no, we, we don't do. I mean, that's one of the fun things I had in my first project uh, back in the day when I started doing JVPM. Um, we modeled it, we implemented it, um, and then we actually involved all the people after the first impl implementation saying, okay, we've, we're running it now like this. Is this working fine for you? And they were like, yeah, this is how we work, but... It feels like we're losing time here. And they would point at the diagram, right? They would say, okay, it feels like we're losing time here yeah. and here. And then we optimize it, right? And that's that's a fantastic thing about this diagramming thing we do, right? right? Is that you people 
start thinking about what they do um, right. because they, they didn't self- exactly yeah. they didn't think about it before wow. and that's yeah something we see all the time once you model it people start thinking about it amazing well that's cool i like that i like that there, there's a strong focus on surfacing for the business yeah information that we've already encoded technically yeah. and, and this supports sustainable like ongoing yes exactly iteration yeah, and as a, as a technical person it's really easy to you know to scoff at those things right as, just to see okay how how hard could it be you know yeah. to do that but real business value is not created by the software alone no right yeah. the software the supports vacuum. exactly it yeah. can't exist in vacuum the software supports the way of working of the people 100 and that's what we should think about, right? Yeah. So maybe it's you know it's it's getting older that makes me think we think about these things more. Is that software is not is not valuable on yeah. itself. It is what it does for the people that use it every day. Absolutely, and I love that because you know if I want my software to be flexible enough to support the use cases prescribed by the business, you know the the first cut might be a user interface, and mm-hmm. at some point you have to say, well, I can't build a user interface to support every possible thing. Yeah. So the user interface now becomes this process diagram or this text file with yeah. tables and you know exactly whatever that's lower level yeah. compared to a WYSIWYG user interface. Yeah, yeah exactly. But it's still something that we can all agree on. We can all exactly. sit, you know, we can exchange as an artifact. Yeah. I mean, in an ideal these. world, you'll build all of these custom UIs, yeah. right? I mean, for all the use cases, cater them really, you know, to the detail. But that's yeah. not no. can't afford that, right? Can't it's afford just, it. Yeah, infinite time. Yeah. So. This is, you know, a middle ground. Again, I'm using this word middle ground a lot. And, you know, that's so I valuable. see what what the kind of software that we're building is doing. It's a middle ground in many ways to, yeah. to solve a problem, a real problem. That's so cool. So cool. Okay. So I I, I think of uh, Flowball as kind of the software I need to run my business, right? It's really, <laughs> I, I truly, I would start with that. Yeah, start, no, I'm, start I'm, thinking I'm biased. About, I would yeah. agree, but I'm yeah. biased. I'm, I'm the wrong <laughs> yeah. person to ask, right? I want I want you to use Spring, of course, but I want you to also think about business processes, mm-hmm. right? And so much of, you know, we talk about Agile, and you know, there's a lot of different ways to write software today that have nothing to do with the way you type if else and do mm-hmm. create brackets and all that. It's so much around the ceremony of integrating business with tech, and I think a huge part of it is just making explicit what both yeah. sides want, and yeah. this is a good approach. Um, we've talked about these features, and uh, they're available in Flowable. We've talked about mm-hmm. um, the, there's commercial support for these things as well there's also extra add-ons if you like um um, the engine itself though going Mm -hmm. back to a very low level technical perspective is spring boot yeah um you're using i mean the engine itself is just java right i mean (laughs) most people these days are using it with spring boot right it's a beam right i mean it's a java pojo yeah yeah right you give it a configuration you you point it to a database yep and that's it. It boots up. Here you have a bean and it is interfaced with a couple of services. That's an interface with right. methods. Right. Done. Um, and you've we've already talked about your flexible use of some of the uh, supporting eco- mm-hmm. ecosystem libraries. What does the future look like for um, you know native yeah. GraalVM-based yeah. support? So we, we actually, very early on when GraalVM was, was announced, or at least the, the native compilation, we started prototyping. Um, the reason is that as we say, we have a very simple Java Pojo, right? So right. it wasn't hard to do well. <laughs> it was a couple of days of, of hard trial and error to, to get the first implementation running. And then a couple of months later, uh, Spring Native came right. along and pretty much made all of that trial and error um, obsolete. Nice. Yeah, so it, it gave us all the, the hints. I mean, we still had to write a couple of hints and all that stuff, but 
it wasn't that hard to do, to be honest. Right. And, and um, definitely with the advent of the more you know, serverless databases, it makes sense to think about what use cases can be done natively. Right. I mean, going forward in the future, it's going to be really interesting to see how we're going to um, package or how we're going to build our final you know, binary. Right. So, I mean, we got to use the word binary these days. Right. Right? It's not a jar or war fund necessarily yeah. anymore. It's a binary. Um, so I'm seeing a lot of potential there uh, for the future uh, yeah. to build on these these new ways of, of running software. Nice. Absolutely. That's amazing. So are you going to, what's the story for Spring Boot 3 and Spring Framework 6? Yeah. Which both imply a Java 17 baseline, yeah. first of all, and then also bring with it built-in out-of-the-box support that is, while conceptually similar, different yeah. uh, from Spring yeah. Native. Yeah. That's, that's a good question. I mean, it's something we've been working on for a while now. Um, so Flowable, both open source and the commercial product, we, we support JDK 17. You know, a couple of things changed, nothing, you know, nothing too big. Right. Uh, and we're preparing for Spring Boot 3 um, because we found out that our, our customers and our users really like to be on the latest and greatest. Right. We never got the question, you know, really to backport to an old version. Right. It never happened, actually. Um, however, as you say, it is a, I mean, I'm gonna, not going to say it's a breaking change, but it's a change you have to update. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you have to mindfully sure. do it, right? Yeah. Um, so what we're, what our plan, and again, you know, uh, legally you have to say nothing you can you say can be quoted against me yeah. here. You can't commit to anything. <laughs> exactly. Course. The future is uh, unknown. Exactly. But our, our goal is to, um, uh, so Spring Boot 3 comes out in December and Shortly after that, the plan is that we will release our 4X version. Uh, currently, our commercial product is on uh, 3X. Our open source is on 6.7. There will be 6.8 yeah. uh, soon. Um, the idea is that that 4X version will be Spring Boot 3, JDK 17, um, you know, all the latest and greatest. Customers that don't want to upgrade can remain on the 3X for a long time to come. Right. However, we're going to have some sweet features in the 4X that really will make it worthwhile, you know, to, to upgrade. We're using the, you know, classic carrot on a stick, you know, kind of approach <laughs> to this. Um, so you, you could decide to stay, but yeah. it's really worthwhile to upgrade. It's right. going to, you know, it's going to be a bit of, of hassle to upgrade. Um, ideally, not much, yeah. but it's going to be uh, worth it in the end. Right. Um, so that, that's our plan. I mean, we really want to be on the latest and greatest Um just for, if for, if for no other reason than from like a security perspective. Oh, yeah. It's just Absolutely. best practice. You know? I, mean, <laughs> I mean, thinking back about the Log4J stuff, I mean, well, anybody on the podcast here uh, probably could, could attest to that, that. I mean, in the end, software is software, right? I mean, it's not that we make mistakes. It's that sometimes things are complex. There are right. so many intricate things moving. And, and we're, I mean, in the end, if you think about it, we're running our software in the end on something made of silicium, right? Which is right. sand that has been... Come through yeah. a process. It's mental if you think about what we're doing. Yeah, right? and the fact that it works. <laughs> the fact that it works is, is is wonderful. It's one of the marvels of, of civilization, yeah. I would say. Um, so given that, I'm not judging or not blaming anybody no, right, for, for these kind of things. But as you say, being on the latest and greatest at least, you know, yeah. avoids you. that that you 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 have forgotten some, you know, something. The thing about the alarm for J thing that I was but the thing that caused the bug was actually a feature. Yeah, exactly. So it, was, it helped somebody at one yeah, point. We some, didn't know it was also a bug. Exactly, that's, exactly. You just can't and know. it can happen to anybody. Yeah, of course. Right? I mean, you look sure. at it and it's like, you could start blaming, but that's pointless because I looked at it. Indeed, it was a feature somebody did a long time ago. Yeah. And, it and it made sense, sense in that context. Exactly. Yeah. So, 
software is hard. Yeah, right? in the for end, real. Uh, we're still, you know, we call ourselves engineers, but you know, there's uh, if you're an engineer building a, a building, you have the laws of physics. You know that that you know not on your side either. <laughs> yeah. uh, but software, pretty much, you know, with enough time, you can do enough money. You can right. do anything. Absolutely. You know, and that's also that's a blessing and a curse, right? <laughs> so, um, okay, okay, I cannot wait for this. Yeah. <laughs> um, are you on the inter- Are you on the internet? <laughs> I am. And yeah. So where can they find you? Yeah. So I am. Um, well, I'm on Twitter. Twitter.com slash J Barres. That's J B A R R E Z. Yeah. The United States. Yeah. I always have to spell my name for some yeah. reason. Uh, you know, on LinkedIn, on GitHub.com slash J Barres. You know, yeah. all the regular channels. I also I'm on YouTube. There is a whole series of Flowable videos that we we're doing uh, these days. Um, so yeah, just Google Flowable, and you'll quickly get into you know the stuff that I'm doing. Awesome. Yeah. And flowable.org for the open source, flowable.com for the... That's it. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. It was an honor. A Beautiful Podcast is produced by me, Josh Long. I do these podcasts because I believe that everything we do in software is for and made better by people. I want to hear from you. I'm josh at joshlong.com by email or at S-T-A-R-B-U-X-M-A-N on Twitter, where, of course, my direct messages are wide open. Do you have guest ideas, topic suggestions, feedback? Don't hesitate to reach out. If you like the show, then please consider rating it on iTunes and leaving a review, uh, as it really helps the show. I sampled music from Steve Combs's Them from Morning and Springtime and Steve Combs's Small Victory, both of which are licensed under a Creative Commons license. I'm trying to hire production assistants to make the production of this podcast easier. I want to make sure that we can add things like show notes and transcripts and, and just generally do more. If you would like to advertise on the show, then please reach out to me. Uh, and if you can't uh, or don't want to advertise but would like to otherwise support the show, then please consider supporting me at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Josh Long for as low as $4 a month. Thanks again. No harm came to any seasons in the making of this podcast.